Well, good morning. It's such an honor and a delight to be here with all of you this morning. I was thinking as I was flying up here yesterday how much I have thoroughly enjoyed being in the people with the people in the outdoors of Canada. I have hunted and spoken all over your country, and it's such a delight to be here with you. And I sincerely appreciate the awfully simple introduction that your pastor gave me. When you travel as a speaker, you get every introduction under the sun, but they're not always good news. Some time ago, I speak up in Michigan for a week-long conference, and the pastor got up on opening night. What he actually wanted to say to people was, no, Larry came here on Saturday. He'll be here all week. We're looking forward to that. Then he'll be leaving us next Saturday. But it was a pastor who had a reputation for getting tongue-tied in the pulpit. And sure enough, he introduced me. Well, he said the packed house was, Larry Cameron, Saturday, he'll be here all week. He leaves us next Saturday, and we're looking forward to that. <laughs> so I sincerely appreciate all the kind of production. But I tell people everywhere I go, there's no one who steps on a platform anywhere in the country, in the world, any more grateful to God than I do. Because I never have the time to give my life story. But I've born with an inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family. That was so severe. I could not pronounce the word T-H-E, the. Speech therapists call it an articulation disorder where the tongue has no idea where to go for certain sounds. And for that reason, speech, medical doctors told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. One day seeing high school with my head between my hands so no one could see I was crying because I had just been ridiculed what seemed like the 500th time. I said, God, if you'll help me with this inherited defect, I will always use my voice for you. Starting that week, I started having control I had never had in my entire life. And that was the year speech therapy brought me to where I am today. But when you come from that kind of background, you don't take one opportunity for granted. It does not matter if it's an audience of 200 or an audience of 20,000. Because if it were not for the grace of God, I could not be on this platform this morning. It's such an honor and delight to have this time with you. But this morning, I would like to ask and answer the question, what kind of Christian do you have to be to lead someone to Jesus Christ? What kind of Christian do you have to be to lead someone to Jesus Christ? And I want to speak one of the most exciting paragraphs in the entire Bible, one of evangelism. So if you have your Bible, may I ask you to take it and turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'd like to start reading at verse 1 or follow me on the screen in front of you. But I want you to leave knowing not just what I said, but knowing where in the Bible God said it first. So when you have a Bible in front of you, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I like to start reading at the first verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, at the beginning of verse 1. And I, brethren, I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Every single one of us had those times. We have daydreamed about something we'd really like to do. It may have to do with our leisure, it may have to do with our livelihood. It may concern a hobby like building an airplane from start to finish, 
or may concern a house like building a home from floor to ceiling. But every single one of us have had no time. We had daydreamed about something we'd really like to do. But then we said, I don't know enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not old enough. Then all of a sudden we have the opportunity and we find out it's not nearly as difficult as we have always made it. For example, from the time I was knee-high to grasshopper, the one thing I always wanted to do was go horseback riding. Now I suppose one reason is I am one avid outdoorsman, and as you know, they always recommend you ride horseback outdoors instead of indoors. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity because some teenagers with whom I was familiar were going horseback riding and invited me to join them. And although I was scared to no end, I could not turn down the invitation. All I said was a simple prayer. Here I sit upon a horse, about to take a certain course. If I should die before I'm through, that's one less ride I'll have to do. <laughs> and so that Saturday night, I showed up at the barn where the horse were corralled. The girl that owned the horse I was riding suggested I mount from the side instead of the back. And a few moments, we were off. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting so high in the saddle as though to think, look out Hollywood, here I come. No sooner was I enjoying my moment of fantasy when she reduced me to a moment of fact. She said, oh, by the way, Larry, that horse has a disgusting habit. I said, what's that? She said, sometime when it sees a car coming, it will step over in the path that car, thereby forcing it to stop. Then it will turn its rear end towards the car, back up till it feels its hind legs hit the bumper, and sit down on the hood of that car. And I looked at her as though saying, I'll hold everything. I hope you don't think I'm so dumb as to believe that. No sooner did I think that, and before God, I'm not lying or exaggerating. This car approached in the distance. As soon as that dumb, stupid ignoramus, excuse for horse, saw the car, he stepped on the path of that car, thereby forced it to stop. Then he turned his rear end towards the car, backed up to a fellow's hind legs, hit the bumper, and sat down on the hood of that car. I have never been so embarrassed in my entire life. There I sat looking like a spaceship all ready for takeoff. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, had I known then what I know now about horseback riding, I could have kept that from happening. But that girl taught me one of the primary lessons I've ever learned in horseback riding. She said, Larry, whenever you ride a horse, always remember, you always control the horse. You never let the horse control you. And since then, I've had no trouble horseback riding because our first thing I do is walk around the head of a horse and say, so help me. If you sit down on the hood of a car, I'm going to bust your bumper. <laughs> And all of us have had no time to be daydreaming about something we like to do. Then we said, I don't know enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not strong enough. Then we had the opportunity, and we find out it's not nearly as difficult as we have always made it. The thing I find so interesting, that connection, studies have proven 5% of all Christians all over the world never talk to anybody about Christ. 95% don't. But the reason they don't is not because they don't want to. I have found people like you daydream about what it'd be like to lead one person to Christ in your life. But we say, I don't know enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not persuasive enough. Well, this paragraph contains the answer that you may have been looking for for 50 years. 
Because if you know what was about Paul, God, you'd evangelize Corinth. Then you know what God needs in you to evangelize Canada. And the thing that's interesting is, what you think you need, you don't. What you don't think you need, you do. But this paragraph that takes us nervousness out of evangelism. And let's face it, that's our problem. We are so nervous. We're like the man who called the hospital, he said, please, 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 please get ready. My wife, she's having a baby. She's having a baby. My wife, please get ready, get ready. I'm bringing her in. She's having a baby. My wife, she's having a baby. I'm bringing her in. I'm bringing her in. Please get ready. My wife, she's having a baby. The nurse says, calm down. Let's ask you a few questions. Is this her first child? He said, no, this is her husband. But sometimes we get so nervous as this paragraph that takes a nurse out of evangelism. Because if you know what it was about Paul, God used evangelized Corinth, then you know what God needs in you to evangelize Canada. And the thing that's interesting is our first thing he mentions takes care of all those of us who say, I just don't know enough. Because the first thing he says you need is a simple message. Look at verse 1. And I, brethren, I came to you, did not come to excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to the testimony of God. Now that phrase, an excellence of speech or wisdom, means a superiority of speech or wisdom. In other words, he's saying, my message was not characterized by fancy words or philosophic depth. Now, please rest assured, that was not because Paul's intelligence was limited. There are some people who feel Christians are not that intelligent. A man one time said, before I came to Christ, I always felt Christians had two brains. The one was lost, the other one's out looking for it. <laughs> and there are some people who are Christians are just about as intelligent as a man that came to work one morning and he had two bright red ears. And someone said, then what in the world happened to you? He said, I did the dumbest thing. As I was getting ready this morning, I was ironing my shirt and the phone rang. I picked up the iron instead of the phone. And the man said, wow, what happened to the other ear? He said, the same guy called back. <laughs> and there are some people who are Christians are just about that intelligent. That was not Paul the Apostle. You got to remember, he grew up in Tarsus, a city noted for its intellectuality. He mastered the Greek language. He had a knowledge of Roman law and custom, second to none. Had he been on a panel, could have made it the best. Had he been confronted with atheists, he could have laid out the proof to the existence of God. Had he been on a TV game show, he could have answered the one million dollar question. The reason he did not demonstrate a superiority as future wisdom was not because his vocabulary was limited. It was because he limited his vocabulary. It was not because he was a man from words did not come easy. It was because he chose the easy words. It was not because he could not, but because he would not. Because having told you what his message was not, he then tells you what it was. Look at verse 2. For I determined. That means I made up my mind. This was not a decision he made one mile in the city. This is a decision he made one mile from the city. I made up my mind to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. The term Jesus Christ refers to his person. Him crucified refers to his work. So when you heard Paul, the first thing he gave you was not the proof of his deity. 
It was a proclamation of his death. Heard him the first time, he preached Christ and crucified. Heard him the second time, he preached Christ and crucified. Heard him the third time, he preached Christ and crucified. So he had never left his presence saying, what a brilliant speaker. He always left his presence saying, what a beautiful Savior. And for that reason, I've been telling people for 46 years, the Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. You don't have to know the Bible to evangelize. you got to know the gospel. The Bible is for 66 books. The gospel is ten words. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's the gospel? Say it with me. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. You don't have to know the Bible evangelized. You gotta know the gospel. The Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are they? Christ died for sins and rose from dead. And for that reason, if you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, congratulations. Because you're prepared to speak to anyone about Christ. Because God wants a person with a simple message. And so many times we think, oh, evangelize. You gotta be able to answer any question a non-Christian asks, refute any argument they bring up, and respond to any verse of the Bible they mention. And the fact of the matter is, if you know Christ died from his sins and rose, you're prepared to speak to anyone anywhere about Christ. Because God needs a person with a simple message. And so many times we think, you gotta be able to answer every question, refute every objection. And you know what we do? We prepare answers that don't even fit the questions non-Christians today are asking. I love the story of the freshman that came to New York City, and he wanted to earn some extra money. The problem was he did not know any English. But he met the owner of a fruit market trying to get away for lunch. He said, I will pay you to manage my market while I go to lunch. Freshman said, I don't know any English. Man said, that will not be a problem, because the most popular thing I sell are apples. Only three questions people will ask you. He said, the first thing you ask you is, how much are they? Just say, 25 cents a piece, five for a dollar. He told him how to say, 25 cents a piece, five for a dollar. Second thing they might ask is, are they any good? I think honesty is the best policy. Just say, sometimes yes and sometimes no. He told him how to say, sometimes yes and sometimes no. So the third thing they might say is, I don't think I'll buy any. Don't high pressure them. Just say, if you don't, somebody else will. He told them how to say, if you don't, somebody else will. All you gotta remember, 25 cents a piece, five for a dollar. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you don't, somebody else will. With that, he left the market, left the man from France in charge. A few moments later, a policeman walked in, did not realize the man did not know any English. And so he said to him, could you tell me what time it is? Freshman said, 25 cents a piece or five for the Policeman said, are you trying to get smart with me? The man from France said, sometimes yes and sometimes no. <laughs> Policeman said, I feel like taking you right off to jail. The man said, if you don't, somebody else will. <laughs> and all we do is prepare answers. Don't fit the questions none Christians are asking. And if you know Christ died for my sins and rose, 
you're prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. Because God wants to approach with a simple message. The Bible is 66 books. God puts 10 words. What are those 10 words? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And Paul did not enter Corinth as a philosopher debater. He entered it as proclaimer. A man one time made the comment, soul winners are not soul winners because of what they know, but because of who they know and how much they want others to know him. If you know Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead, congratulations. You're now prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. I love the story of the man right out of seminary, candidating in his first church, close to university town. And he was so concerned about the opposition, whatever he might encounter. So he sought the wisdom of his godly father. He said, I am so afraid I'll be hampered in my preaching. If I mention something about geology, there's a person in the congregation that's forgotten more than I ever know. If I mention something about Greek literature, I'll feel inferior in the presence of a learned person or congregation. If I mention something about Roman history, I'm afraid a person with a doctor's degree in that field will catch me in some inerrancy, inaccuracy. What in the world do I do? And his godly father and said, son, just tell them about Jesus. They probably never heard about him. And if you know Christ died for sin of the rose, congratulations. You're prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. Because God was a person with a simple message. But then he says there's a second thing you need. This takes care of all those of us who say, I'm just not brave enough. Because the second thing you need is an obedient, though fearful spirit. Look at what he says in verse 3. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. You see, the philosophers that day had the attitude, give me your questions. I'll answer all of them. Give me your objections. I'll respond to all of them. They kind of remind you of the three boys bragging about the intellectual abilities of their dads. One boy said, I'll tell you, my dad is so intelligent, he can talk for one hour on any subject. Second boy said, I'll tell you, my dad is so intelligent, he can talk for two hours on any subject. Third boy said, I'll tell you, my dad is so intelligent, he can talk for three hours, not even have a subject. <laughs> That's what these philosophers are like. They can talk for three hours, not have a subject. Instead, look at Paul's demeanor in verse 3. I was with you in weakness. That word weakness refers to everything, from the thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, to his absence of physical strength, due to his unimpressive build. Most historians picture Paul as a man bony and bow-legged, the last person that would have ever made a cover of a fitness magazine or won a weightlifting contest. Then he said in verse 3, weakness and fear. That word fear refers to everything from the weakness of the city that made him unpopular to the hostility of the Jews that made him unwanted. Sometimes he felt like walking right through the front door and saying nothing. Sometimes he walked through right through the back door saying nothing. Being a hunter... I love the story of the two hunters that came right here in Canada on a grizzly bear hunt. All of a sudden, we're confronted 
with the footprints of a man-eating grizzly. Right there they froze. Then one hunter said, you go that way, see where he went. I'll go this way, see where he came from. <laughs> That's how Paul must have felt. You go over there and talk to him. I'll go back over here and pray for you. They said, weakness and fear and much trembling. That word trembling refers to everything from the quivering on the outside of the body that reflected the nervousness on the inside. Had you been in front of him, you'd see his knees shaking. Had you been behind him, you'd see his knees shaking. You'd see his lips quivering. He had a nervous, obedient fear, even though he was trembling with fear. And the second thing he said you need is an obedient, fearful spirit. Notice Paul did not say, and I stayed at home in weakness, fear, and much trembling. He said, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. He had an obedient, though fearful spirit. And let's face it, one of the biggest problems we have in evangelism, including Larry Moyer, is a problem of fear. And sometimes that fear makes us panic. And we can do some of the craziest stuff. Part of my way through graduate school, I worked as a door-to-door -door household salesman for a company called Fuller Brush Company, door-to-door -door household selling. All you do is walk up to a house and say, good afternoon, I'm your Fuller Brush salesman. Then as a friendly gesture, you say, would you like a barbecue brush? Would you like a letter opener? And go on to tell about the other stuff you had for sale. There was another guy in my class that was also a Fuller Brush salesman. And this was one of the kindest people you'd ever want to meet. He would not even open an oyster without knocking on the shell first. <laughs> so he walked up to a house. He said, good afternoon. I'm your Fuller Brush salesman. And the woman said, oh, go away. I'm so fed up with life. I'm thinking about committing suicide. And although he knew she was only making an inflammatory remark, she was not serious. He was so shocked, he didn't know what to say. So he looked at her and he said, well, would you like a letter opener? <laughs> and sometimes we get so nervous, we say the craziest stuff. And wherever I go, people say to me, how do you overcome fear? How do you get rid of being afraid? I say, this side of heaven, you never will. But if you take care of your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. And the people evangelize, don't do it because they're not afraid. Sometimes they're scared to death. They do it in spite of fear. And you have to have an obedient, though fearful spirit. And if you take care of your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. You need an obedient, though fearful spirit. A man one time made the comment, when it comes to talking to your neighbor, even an evangelist has problems. I could not agree more. Evangelist one time made the statement, I have preached to crowds of 70,000 people, yet I still get nervous talking to somebody about Christ. I could not agree more. And if you ask Larry Moyer, when was the last time you were afraid, I tell you about the person I spoke to this week. Because you need obedient, though fearful spirit. Have you take care of your obedience? God will always take care of your fear. And people evangelize don't do it without fear. They do it in spite of fear. One time during a major war, a general one time wrote to one of his commanders and said, 
Now, the next time you ride in the direction of headquarters, I would like to see you on a matter of no great importance. As soon as the general received the word, the next morning he saddled his horse against a storm of wind and snow. He rode nine miles to that general's headquarters. When he got there, the general was surprised to see him. He said, my note said, I wish to see you on a matter of no great importance. And the commander said, that's just the point. You said you wished to see me. Your smallest wish is my supreme command. God needs those who say, your smallest wish is my supreme command. And if you take your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. You need an obedient, though fearful spirit. So the first thing he says is you need a simple message. If you know Christ died for my sins and rose, congratulations. You're prepared to speak to anyone, anywhere. Second thing you need is obedient, though fearful spirit. You take care of your obedience. God will always take care of your fear. But the third thing he said you need is take care of all those who say, I'm just not persuasive enough. Because the third thing he said you need is the right perspective. Look at what he said in verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul realized what you and I forget. People are not brought to Christ by the articulation of an argument. People are not brought to Christ by the power of persuasion. They're not brought to Christ by a system of logic. They're brought to Christ when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel, drives home their heart, and causes them to come to God by faith. They're brought to Christ by what verse 4 calls the demonstration of the spirit of power. They're brought to Christ by the Holy Spirit, not the human spirit. That's why there's not one verse in that book that says, bring the laws to Christ, because only God can do that. He says, bring Christ to the lost, and you have to have the right perspective. Now, every single one of us know perspective is key to everything in life. For example, I am so amused as I travel throughout your country, throughout mine, how people in our countries feel about their birthdays. Because for the first 40 years, they could not enjoy them anymore. And then that 40th birthday hits, and it's, hello, coffin, here I come. In fact, I found from ages 1 to 40, people enjoy their birthdays. From 40 to 60, they endure their birthdays. From 60 to 80, they abhor their birthdays. And after 80, they can't remember when their birthday is. <laughs> but when you stop and think about it, every birthday you have ought to be more exciting than the one before. Because studies have proven the more you have, the longer you live. <laughs> and all you need is the right perspective. It's that same perspective that's key to evangelism. Arguments can be answered with arguments. Logic can be answered with logic. Persuasion can be answered with persuasion. But in order for conversion to take place, the Holy Spirit has to take the truth of the gospel, 
drive on their hearts and cause them to come to God by faith. Paul did not want anyone leaving his presence saying, I believe because Paul convinced me. He wanted everyone leaving saying, I believe because God convinced me. As he said in verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I made it a practice to say to those who come to Christ through our outreaches, what did I say that convinced you of your need to come to Christ? It's so honoring to God how many times they say, all I can tell you is, God was speaking to me. One time a woman came to Christ in an outreach. She was in Satan worship, on drugs, in homosexuality, and adultery. I said, what did I say to convince you you need to come to Christ? She said, Larry, I did everything I could to avoid listening to you. I started counting all the pounds of wood that were behind you. Then I went to counting your teeth. <laughs> she said, all I remember is two things. You said, I don't care what you've done. God loves you. And then you gave an illustration of one person dying for another. I knew God was speaking to me. And she's a growing Christian today. And all you need is the right perspective. God is not saying, bring the lost to Christ. God is saying, bring Christ to the lost. Your job's contacting. His job's conversion. Your job's sowing. His job's saving. Your job's presenting. His job's persuading. That's why I've never asked one person, and I never will, how many of you led to Christ? Because that's not your responsibility. What I have asked is, how many of you presented Christ to? If you do the presenting, he'll do the persuading. Sometimes we're the fifth of 17 people God's going to use. Sometimes we're the eighth of 35. Sometimes we're the 19th of 64. It's exciting when you're the 35th or 35. But God is not saying bring the lost to Christ. God's saying bring Christ to the lost. I wish years ago, and you're going to be surprised hearing this from an evangelist. I wish years ago, we would have never started using the words soul winning. Because I'm sorry, that's not our job. That's his job. Our job gospel presenting, his job's soul winning. And if we do the gospel presenting, he'll do the soul winning. And all you need is a right perspective. God's not saying bring lost to Christ. God's saying bring Christ to the lost. As you present, I'll persuade. And you have to have the right perspective. And my thing this morning is, I find people daydream about leading someone to Christ. But then they say, I just don't know enough. I'm just not brave enough. I'm just not persuasive enough. He said you need three things. A simple message. If you know Christ died for our sins and rose, you're ready to prepare, talk to anybody about Christ. Because the Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are those ten words again? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. You know, obedient, though fearful spirit. You take care of your obedience, God will always take care of your fear. And you have to have the right perspective. God's not saying bring the lost to Christ. God's saying bring Christ to the lost. If you confront, I'll convert. 
and I can wrap everything I said this morning into one sentence, I hope to God you never forget. And that is, you don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. You don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind. You need to be a broken person with a clear message. That's why those effective evangelism don't look like they just walked out of the bookstore. They look like they just walked out of their prayer closet. They're not people hung up on their talent. They're people hung up on their teacher. Not people who want to impress you with their degree. They want to impress you with their discipleship. They're not people who want you to know everything there is to know about you, him. People want you to know everything there is to know about him. Because you don't have to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Can we say that together, all together? You don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Now, let's make it personal. Let's turn the you into an I and say it again, all together. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind but a broken person with a clear message. Say it again. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Again, I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. God's given me two spiritual gifts. The one's evangelism, the other's repetition. <laughs> Let's say it again. <laughs> I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Wherever you go in Canada, wherever you go in the world, why can God use you in evangelism? What kind of Christian you need to be? Say it again. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. What's that message in 10 words? Say it. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. One time I read this touching story. A woman in mid-age, close to university, came to know the Savior. She was so excited about what Christ had done for her, she wanted everybody in that girl's dormitory of that university hear the good news, Christ died for you. And so she wrote a letter that all the girls in the women's dormitory said, may I come and speak to you about Jesus? Then she followed up with a phone call. Many said, no thanks. But many said, come on. But she encountered opposition from a place she never suspected it. When one of the girls that signed up happened to be a Christian, and she said to the new believer, I don't think you ought to be doing what you're doing. You don't know the question university students are asking. You don't know the issues university students are facing. You could do more harm than good. She said, I disagree. I could do more harm than good. But I don't disagree. I'm not the best person. Would you see to it? Everyone in this dormitory, here's the good news. Christ died for you. And the Christian said, no, I don't think I know how. And besides, I am not willing. New convert said, 
That's what I find so disgusting. Because of people like you who are not willing to do it, God has to rely upon people like me. You know what? God's been relying upon people like you and me for years. He's going to keep doing so. You know why? Sure you do. Say it again, loudly and clearly. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. One more time. I don't need to be a brilliant person with a clever mind, but a broken person with a clear message. Therefore, if you're broken, you're clear. God will use you to talk to anyone, anywhere about Jesus. And if you'd like, he'd love to start this week. All God's people ought to say, amen. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? This morning, as our heads about our eyes are closed, two things. I'm always aware in a group this size could be someone who doesn't know for sure if you're dying, you go to heaven. Bible makes the gospel so clear. Come to God as a sinner, recognize Christ died for your oaths, and trust in him alone as you're on the way to heaven. If you don't have that settled, don't leave before seeing the pastor or me because you've never lived until you're prepared to die. Secondly, if you're here and you do have that assurance, let me ask you, how will your life be different after today? Don't tell me. Tell him right now. How will your life be different, especially in evangelism, after today? Don't tell me. Tell him.